And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, look, marketplaces are everywhere. Everything from like eBay to classified ads, Facebook has one, but real estate lending marketplaces are on the rise. It's what we're going to talk about today. And before we get too far into who I'll be talking to all of that great stuff about, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Lending Standard, the only secure online origination and underwriting platform solution for HUD, Fannie, Freddie, and bank multifamily lenders. You go to LendingStandard.com to learn more. I believe you can also go to MultifamilyDebt.com. That'd be right. That's what, yeah, that's, whoa, there's someone here with me. That sounds like Andy Kallenbach, who is a repeat guest. Welcome back, Andy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Now, yeah, for those of you that want a little more about Andy's backstory, uh, he's going to give us a brief overview of it. But we have other episodes out there in regards to how people are funding real estate. And for those of you tuning in, every Monday in October is another episode about real estate entrepreneurship. If you want to go back through some of the past episodes, I've got uh, construction entrepreneurship, which has been a really, really popular episode where I sat down with Eric Perkins, the YouTube star, and talked all about what it's like to be in the general construction world of entrepreneurship. Today, we're going to be a little more tech-centric and get into uh, online marketplaces. Now, Andy, uh, as before we get started, do you would, can you give everyone listening a little bit of a background about what you guys are doing over at Lending Standard and MultifamilyDebt.com? Sure. So we've been in business for almost six years now, and we really, from the very start, focused on multifamily financing and, and making it better. Uh, and we started out offering underwriting software to, to most of the big lenders in uh, the market. And we have today, I mean, over 40% of all HUD loans that are, are multifamily go through our platform. We do quite a bit also on the, the Fannie Freddie agency side and see a lot of volume of lenders that use us and our software and our technology uh, for underwriting process and closing loans nationwide and, you know, affordable and market rate apartment buildings. And, you know, we've been able to, to take all of our underwriting analysis and all the tools that, that lenders use and to be able to turn that into a marketplace. And we, that marketplace is really to serve borrowers to help them find a great loan for the property that they need financing for. They need capital to either uh, refi or fix it up or buy. Uh, we've got a great number of lenders that not only use our platform, uh, but have great terms that uh, they can provide, you know, borrowers nationwide. 
Now, you mentioned the term multifamily and what you guys specialize in is loans related to like multifamily units. That could be everything. It's buildings that more than one family habitate. Right. Um, I was so surprised in our pre- prior episode to learn that there, how archaic that process was because you have com- the commercial, like if I want to buy an office building, there's some some stuff for that. And then obviously the single family home. But I was right. just really surprised that there was such a wide open space for the multifamily because multifamily uh, buildings, especially in big markets, are sometimes all you can find. So yeah, that, that was that was pretty impressive. Now, when it comes to to a lot, I mean, is was it just the the need to like you saw the need there, or I mean, what really got you into the multifamily space? So I've always been I'm a software developer by trade, so I'm I'm just nerdy uh, by nature, right? So I, I've spent 20 years in financial audit software for commercial insurance companies. So I've always liked accountants and attorneys and and kind of financial software uh ended up selling that business in the 2012-ish time frame and um ended up running across a hud multifamily attorney that he's like look you know my job is crazy hard uh it's super manual i work with all these lenders and they've got checklists to follow that they they can't get right they've got all these documents to put together that are always incorrect. Uh, it's just all the documents and Excel sheets and everything else. It's just manual from start to finish. And someone should be able to, to bring some technology uh, to multifamily and make this better. And, you know, that's that's how I kind of ran into the problem. Um, I eventually actually, I'm from Kansas City and I ended up moving to St. Louis uh, just to go work with a mid-sized multifamily lender and just to learn underwriting, processing, et cetera. And that turned into to what we're doing today. And that seems to be going pretty well because I've seen Lending Standard on many, many lists of uh, fast-growing companies and here in our hometown in Kansas City, as well as venture-backed. So yep. it's clearly, you're, you're filling a need and you're getting validation with that. Now, when it comes to just real estate lending in general, I believe you told me before we hit record that, uh, and, you know, I'll let you uh, refresh us on the number, but most people literally walk down to the corner bank and uh, end up kind of getting a loan there, which is okay and also not okay because competition in these kind of things is good, right? Yeah. So the the metrics on multifamily is around 78% of all multifamily loans are just done by the, the bank down the street, right? So you know, here in Kansas City, it could be any one of your regional banks that might might do a, a multifamily finance. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's super manual to, to get a, a term sheet or terms from a lender. And it takes a lot of effort. So getting some competition, even just locally, as a borrower, you're going to take a whole lot of time uh, just being able to talk to one lender, figure out what your loan looks like, go down the street, talk to the other lender, and that's frankly a lot of time that's wasted as a borrower when you should be doing other things. Yeah. And then, you know, now I, I always find have found marketplaces to be interesting. And the in the regard that I mean, marketplaces have been around ever since buyers and sellers have wanted to congregate in a in a 
and in close proximity. I mean, that could have been yeah. like your local market back in ancient Rome where you could buy a chicken, some eggs and some wine, you know, all yep. at the same time. And then, and then we have, we have gotten obviously uh, quite a bit of evolution through that. Now, one of the things that I, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about over the years that want to build some kind of marketplace concept. And I've run into this same issue myself is, you know, I feel that building the marketplace is maybe the easier part of the whole experience. It's I, and I caution people a lot. I say, look, building the marketplace is, is the easy part, getting people to populate it and where you got to have enough buyers and sellers for people to actually care. Yeah. Um, is in my opinion, the harder part, was that the case with, with your marketplaces where like, was it difficult to populate them and how did you get people to actually go in there and stay? Yeah, no, look, I, I think that is the hardest part about marketplace. And I've heard it often described as sort of the chicken and egg problem, right? Where you, you almost have to have both to make it work. Um, you know, for us, we had a, a natural benefit, you know, coming into making this marketplace where we already had a company that already had lenders on the back end, right? We were already providing underwriting and origination software to most of the big lenders nationwide. And for us, it was e easy to, to transition and leverage the lenders that we work with uh, and also the legitimacy that we've had with that to add new lenders onto the platform. Um, and so we had the lenders on the back end. So it was really just a matter of us uh, being able to to spend the right marketing effort to be able to get out in front of borrowers and let them know that we've got some uh, competitive options that uh, that maybe are, is not available to them on their you know corner you know community bank uh, that they should check out right and, and to some degree it's just providing value and delivering on what you're what you're offering. Um, and I think from there, that's been able to build a lot of trust from a lot of borrowers that we've helped find great lenders on our, our system. So, and, and like I said, I don't want to get too far off track. I just find that particular component of marketplaces, you know, I've always kind of compared it to the kind of uh, cheap and easy example I give is uh, back when I was single, um, you know, you'd go out uh, and you walk into a place at, at midnight on a Friday night. And if there's no one in there, you just turned around and walked right yeah. back out. And that's, a, and, and that's the thing is, is it yeah. really is difficult to populate a marketplace. And if you're thinking about building any kind of marketplace or any tech that goes around it, I think that's the big problem that you have to solve. And, you know, as you mentioned, you're providing value both for buyers and sellers, which I think has to exist. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a lopsided marketplace because no one wants yeah. to, no, no one intentionally jumps into the shark tank. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's a all right so go ahead do you have something i mean not everything is is um not everything you can turn into a marketplace either i mean you have to have a lot of you know friction that you're solving on both sides of the equation right and i think that's where especially commercial real estate or, or you know a lot of real estate you know in general there's just a lot of people involved in a real estate transaction and there's a lot of needs on all ends i i think that's another Another thing, when you're looking at a marketplace and trying to solve one, you, you, you got to solve, you know, issues and problems that are hard on both sides. 
So to, to be more specific, what are, when it comes to, and all the way down, specificity all the way down to real estate lending, I mean, what are the real benefits both for buyers and sellers with the, and, and for those of you listening, you can go to lendingstandard.com to learn more about the company that also has multifamilydebt.com. So multifamilydebt.com is your marketplace. Right where lending standard is more of the technology company that drives a lot of that, correct? Correct. Yep. So when it comes to the benefits, both for buyers and sellers, what are the, what are some of the, the obvious ones that, that people like me might not consider? Um, okay. So if you're buying a multifamily property, um, and I'll just give you a short story. Right. So typically a lot of the ways you would do this is you go talk to an originator or like a loan officer, sit down, have some coffee, you know, trade some, trade some numbers. I look, I'm looking at buying this piece of property for $3 million. You know, originators really, you know, or loan officers, just really a salesperson. So they're excited just to sell you anything. Right. So the, they'll write some numbers down on a napkin. It's like, Oh, I, I can, I can help finance, uh, let's say 80% of this you know, property that you're buying. Well, what happens is you get sucked into that particular relationship and that particular salesperson. And, you know, what happens is you sign some contracts or an engagement letter or something, and then it goes back to underwriting and underwriting finally tells you, well, yeah, no, we can't do what the originator told you, but we could do, we could do 70%, right? Well, that 10%, you know, difference when you're talking millions of dollars, that's, that's a significant hit, right? And, you know, it, especially when you're buying something, um, you usually have a contract with whoever, you know, you're buying it from of like 60 days to close, right? Um, and so if you've got to come up with three, $400,000 in extra money, right, within, um, you know, two weeks, that can often be very difficult. Uh, and that's one thing that we are solving with our marketplace is being able to take all the underwriting technology and the lack of transparency that you usually get from that coffee meeting uh, and being able to bring that right up front to you as a borrower so that we can tell you today, look, we've gone through some pre-underwriting analysis on your property that you're looking at buying. And I know you might want 80% or, but really this is going to be a 75%, you know, loan that you're going to have to put 25% down and you just need to be prepared for that today. Right. So some degree we're solving that transparency for the borrower. And, and that that's a big thing. Uh, the, the other side of the equation for the lenders, um, especially for the lenders that are, um, you know, community mid-sized banks, they don't have a big army of sales folks that are just on every corner, you know, having coffee with multifamily owners, right. They're looking to buy or sell or refi. And the marketplace component for them really helps their deal flow and helps them find people that they wouldn't normally uh, find. And, you know, when you look at COVID over the last year, it's actually incentivized a lot of borrowers, a lot of investors to, to buy property, you know, that's outside their backyard, right? Looking at, you know, mid-market towns like, you know, Nashville or Kansas City or, or other places to buy property. And look, they don't know Commerce Bank downtown in Kansas City, right? They, they just don't. And so we're bringing some visibility to those lenders that could provide them great terms that they just don't, they don't know. You know, you know 
I think you have a great point on the buyer side. So a lot of people don't know this, but typically, you know, you can go out and buy a home pretty easily. You don't necessarily need to have 20, 30% down. Right. Uh, you may end up with some, some extra fees, some PMI type stuff attached to it, but you can get yourself into a home relatively painlessly. As far as uh, commercial properties go, I mean, typically you're looking at 20% down. Uh, that 10% extra down, I mean, in your case, you use a $3 million purchase as an example. That's another, uh, 10% is another 300K. Right. And, uh, and then an, on top of it too is, you know, part of what makes a marketplace a beneficial place to go is the competition amongst sellers. Um, so, you know, you look at now in that particular case, we got 70% down on a, what is now a $2.1 million loan. I think I did the math there correctly, but you know, half a percentage point on that is $10,000 a year. I mean, it can start to really add up and you know, that's, and that, and, and those little fractional bits of, of what doesn't seem like a lot, and it could even be come down to fees or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, cause remember when you're investing in real estate, you're wanting the return either from the, the rent you're collecting or the increase in the property value and all that stuff matters. So yeah, I mean, the, anything that increases that level of competition and then the transparency thing too. I think one of the things that, um, you know, I was reading an article, this was a few years ago, but it was talking about how too many people, and this is not too many people just take the advice of their realtor for what it is. Now a realtor, right. if they're telling you now here, we're in a hot market where homes are selling above asking price, but when it's more in the buyer's favor and your real estate agent says, yeah, I think it's a good idea for you to take $6,000 less. Well, their percentage of that is only a couple hundred dollars where you're eating thousands and thousands and thousands. So like, you know, the real question is, 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 you know, where's the transparency in that and how do you know when you're getting good advice? So anything that makes yeah. things more competitive and I, I don't know, man, for the realtors that are listening out that listening out there, I'm waiting for that next wave of disruption that kind of makes that 6% that you pay them obsolete because just saying, yeah. Just saying. No, I hear you. <laughs> no, it, it's, right. it is interesting. And, and there's a lot of, you know, for single family lending, your point's, you know, spot on. It's that, you know, for, for getting a loan for a, a house, you know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, math there. There's some, right? But, um, you know, unfortunately, a commercial building that's several million dollars, there, there's a lot of underwriting there that, you know, a lot of, borrowers or underwriters or originators just don't disclose. And so there's a lot more at risk. And, you know, we believe that borrowers should know as much as we could possibly, you know, tell them up front, right? So that they're not surprised when they, they go to, to close on buying something. Yeah. And there are some interesting protections. You have like the truth and lending and just like different stuff. And we, you know, anybody that's purchased a home, you know, when you're signing all 7,000 pieces of paper yeah. on the day that you close, you know, they go through so many different things. And some of those numbers look kind of shocking. You're like, here's your $500,000 home, but yeah. 30 years later, you will have paid $1.1 million for it or something crazy. So, well, I don't know if you know this, but like in commercial, a lot of the, that consumer protection in lending doesn't exist. Ah, right? And it's, okay. and it, even to the transparency part, this is part, a little bit of the problem, right? Is that there's just not a lot of 
laws and regulations and et cetera. You know, and I'm not saying that there there we need a thousand laws and regulations per se either for it, but you know, it is an issue, right? Where um, there's a lot that that you find out later, you know, at closing or you know, or near closing. And look, commercial buildings are just more complicated. They they just are. So it's it's harder to get a lot of that information, especially when you're it's so manual, right? Your Excel spreadsheet is the best, you know tool that you have to try to work out a, a loan. That, that's what's really difficult on the lender side of it. And that's part of what we solve as a software company is to give lenders, you know, underwriting tools that's, that's better than an Excel sheet. I want to talk here in a second about some trends and some other stuff, but it seems like a good time to remind everyone that it's no secret. The multifamily loan process can be difficult to manage. And that's why multifamilydebt.com's intuitive online platform can help take the pain out of the process by matching borrowers with lenders, vying for their business, streamlining the application process and providing guidance from industry experts to help borrowers find the best option. That might be the most timely and well-placed ad read that I have embraced uh, in the calendar year 2021. So um, I'm sure you might agree as well. Now, you know, as far as um, as far as real estate trends go, I mean, it's no it's no secret here in 2021 that um, the real estate market has been shaken up a little bit. I mean, it started earlier this year with the price. Well, it started really last year uh, with the price of, of, of materials going through the roof. Yeah. And it really kind of accelerated this year. And a lot of that's coming back down to earth. Uh, and, and by the way, that's something that, uh, also in a lending standard.com sponsored episode, Eric Perkins and I talked about because, uh, that had a very interesting effect on his business. In some cases, this, this rapid increase in material cost, uh, led to an increase in build cost, which turned into some canceled build contracts. Yep. Now for him, that's not a real problem because he's got a four-year wait list. So someone else, someone's loss was someone else's gain there. But at the same time, like, you know, these trends are are having a different effect on everything. So overall, like, what are the trends right now in real estate lending that are going with this hot market? Is it more affordable, less affordable, or like people getting a little uh, uh, um, cannibalistic or, you know, what, what's going on in the streets? Well, it, obviously, construction has been really difficult um, given the moving target that, you know, lumber prices, and it's not just lumber, it's basically, you know, all material has gone up. So if you, if you were in the middle of trying to, to put together a construction deal in the last year, uh, you probably got hit pretty hard with something. Um, and so that's obviously had a problem. Um, on the flip side of it, there's just a huge need in affordable housing and apartment buildings are, you know, really the main vehicle for affordable housing in the United States. Uh, and, and given the fact that like single family, um, you know, it, the prices of single family uh, has gone up a lot in the last year and competition for houses has, has been very fierce. It has just driven an even bigger need than there already was for affordable housing. Um, and you're actually starting to see a real big movement on um, the multifamily lenders that we work with to start lending on single family rentals, right? And 
finding a lot of institutional capital that's now being poured into, you know, buying up, you know, large portfolios of single family rentals around the United States just to try to meet, you know, this uh, affordable housing need that's out there. And I'm, that's that's what I see. Does, from does the pricing of multifamily kind of ebb and flow along with the rise or like the fluctuations that occur with single family? Are they kind of one and the same or are they different? They're they're a little different. Um, you know, the value, value of a multifamily building is really driven off the income that you can make off of the building, right? Which, you know, that's going to be based upon rents, right? Well, you know, rents do have some comparison to home prices that are in your neighborhood. So there is a, a loose connection there. Uh, but, you know, that's tend to lag a little bit. So... It, it is somewhat connected, but it has a lot to do with the city and how how many jobs the city has, you know, how many um, folks are trying to move there or find better housing. You know, one of the, I, I recently recorded an episode about Airbnb entrepreneurship, and I did that with my fellow Startup Hustle host, Andrew Morgans, who has a whole lot of Airbnb yeah. properties. And he was sharing uh, that they had uh, made a purchase on a multifamily place, and they, they found uh, like a renter. It was like a, a like a fourplex and they had right. a renter in there and they said, well, maybe we'll just put a renter in there to keep it stable. And they said that uh, they, they only got a couple months into that before they were counting the days until that lease was over because uh, <laughs> they were, you know, because, well, they were populating it in a very profitable way yeah. um, with, you know, and one of the things that was, uh, you know, in this multifamily dwelling that they had was for Airbnb entrepreneurs, the multifamily purchase made so much more sense because in a single family home environment, they would have, it was like four different things to fully coordinate where they had four things all at the same spot. So if they had, whether it was everything from maintenance, but cleaning was a big thing. And then also yeah. like having, so sometimes like, so my HOA uh, does not allow Airbnb right. uh, in my neighborhood because they don't want people showing up and acting crazy. But uh, according to Andrew, the multifamily homes were great the, uh, or buildings were great because they could control the whole like, hey, all these people are here for Airbnb. Right. You know, so oh, yeah. they're here, then they're gone. And that made things a lot easier. Do you, are you seeing people, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but are you seeing people actually like driving more, like is the Airbnb uh, craze and all of that growing? Is that driving uh, business and multifamily? It, it is a bit. And and for us, we call those lenders short-term uh, rental lenders, right? So you do, um if you're getting a loan for something that you might have some Airbnb or, or short-term rental exposure, um, you need to find a lender uh, that is willing to take that on. So uh, we've got quite a few lenders that look, they understand the mechanics of, you know, Airbnb and, you know, e even other things that maybe like student housing would fit into some short-term rental uh, situations, but you need to have a lender that, that knows that that's what's going on with that particular property. But yeah, we are seeing specialized short-term 
uh, rental lenders that that's all they do, right? So uh, that's an inter been an interesting, you know, development to, to see. And it, it's, uh, you know, a lot of it, I kind of wonder too, with COVID and everything else the last year, um, it seems like people have, you know, been more comfortable go going to an Airbnb, you know, that's maybe not in a big hotel, um, you know, other things like that and kind of change their, their vacation. Um, and that very well could be a pattern that sticks. I think, you know, just like, um, you know, office places are, are not as populated per se, you know, you look at the big, you know, Apple or Google or, or Amazon trying to get their workers back into the office place. Well, they, they may not. So, and I think that's also driving, you know, mid-market towns like, um, you know, here in the Midwest where it's more affordable to live. Why not have a Apple employee or a Google employee, you know, work remotely from here? And that's definitely starting to, to happen. I was actually, uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently talking about how the the remote developer and obviously as the owner of, of fullscale.io, I am in the business of helping people build remote development teams, yep. but that it was, so there was already a lot of pressure on uh, startups for when it came to local hiring, but now uh, with uh, the full adoption of a remote environment, you get a lot of these Silicon Valley, New York City, Miami, Chicago kind of companies that are reaching out to the Kansases and a lot of other places. And, and then there are some people that are just embracing digital nomadship. You know, they're yeah. just like going and living in different places and doing fine because they can do their work from anywhere. But Airbnb is a key component. According to Andrew, one of the things that he felt was was driving that is one, uh, people are having a lot more comfort in their trust in Airbnb and like that it's that it's a viable option. But he, according to him, more so it was the hosts that were evolving, like meaning yeah. like he was talking about how over like a three year history of doing that, the changes that they've made and understanding that like what you need, what they what they would set a place up with and have it ready to do is completely different three years later because they had a better understanding of what was a draw for specific types of travelers. And some of it had to do with location. Like if it was right next door to a conference center, then they needed a different kind of setup. So, well, that's cool. And, and so at multifamilydebt.com, is there, are there, is there some help with finding those kind of lenders? Yeah, no, we, we have helped uh, plenty of folks do short term rental type properties and student housing and other sort of transitional type housing places that um, we've got good number of lenders that maybe um, you've, most folks probably never run across. And it's really something, again, back to the story about most loans come through a community bank, right? It's really those community banks are not the first movers right into adopting a risk like that right and i think that's definitely another another part that we play in and can help help you find you know a good lender that yeah look at it's not going to be the credit union down the street either well some some of those smaller community banks don't have the insane overhead uh, or CEOs that make $48 million a year or some of that. And, you know, a lot of them I, I've learned uh, just basically through purchasing myself. It's like uh, like with, with a vehicle or something, you're like, I've never heard of this bank that holds the paper on my loan, you know, and because it's well, like hey. uh, it's like the third 
third Southwest street bank of Wichita, Kansas or something. And you're like, I've never heard of it, but, but here's the thing as a buyer, you don't give a shit. I mean, you just right. want to, you're going to just, where do I send my payments and just make sure that they come out of my account every month. So I don't have to send a check and lick a stamp. Do I actually yep. have stamps that you can lick anymore? Is that still a thing? Uh, ever I since George know. Costanza died, Cindy, or his, ever since his fiance died licking <laughs> envelopes for their uh, engagement party, I think the world's really uh, gained a lot of transparency about the dangers of envelope and stamp glue. So, all right. So we, we're going to get into the founder's freestyle and wrap up this episode in a minute. But before we do that, just want to remind you that you can get matched with commercial multifamily loan options in minutes when you go to multifamilydebt.com. There's a link in the show notes. So just scroll on down and click it. They're an industry leading platform that simplifies the commercial real estate mortgage process. Visit multifamilydebt.com to learn more. You know, there's a lot to be said about real estate investment. I know a lot of it. It's not, it's not really my thing. It was in the past. Um, and, you know, I got into it for a while and I learned that um, I did well with it, but it, I, I also struggled with it because it was about some of the coordination. Um, and, you know, if you're going to have a, a 12 unit place, then you gotta, you're going to have a number of people that are uh, asking you for things. Uh, you've, we've seen a lot of what's called prop tech. Uh, right. come up that helps people manage a lot of that. But that wasn't around when I was a real estate investor. Now, if you want to learn more about entrepreneurship in general, you can always come over and visit the Startup Hustle TV episodes that we have been publishing. Just go to YouTube and type in Startup Hustle. And just as a quick reminder, I'm not the only host of this show anymore, and I haven't been for a full year now. Make sure you tune in on Tuesdays. Join Andrew Morgans, the CEO and founder of Marknology.com. He's going to talk all about Amazon, e-commerce, and all kinds of stuff that is sold online. Tune in on Thursdays and join, and join Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her, as she tackles a lot of tough issues and just really... I don't know. Every time I listen to Lauren's episodes, she makes me smile because she's just uh, just uh, very inspiring. And for those of you that may have just recently noticed, I don't have episodes on Friday anymore. I have been turning that over to a series of guest hosts. Hopefully you enjoyed the series with Heather Steppy of the KC Hemp Co. who We talked all about the cannabis business which is a very, uh, we talk about rapidly evolving businesses like real estate marketplaces. Well, man, that one's grown pretty quick. So uh, yeah, uh, that's that. I, we'll see when we get marketplaces for that, Andy. Um, it's probably not that, probably not that far away. So you yeah, never know. know. Now it's as far as, uh, I'll tell you what, that's a, a very, very, we wanted to lead our series of guest hosts and, uh, you know, we've all we've also got Melissa Vincent joining us for not just Fridays, but we're letting her take over the channel for a week. Melissa runs Pipeline Entrepreneur Group. Uh, have you been associated with that? Uh, no, I've known a lot of people at Pipeline. I thought I, you. No, I, I wasn't sure if you were in it or not. Yeah, I've known no, a lot of people in it too. It's a cool program. Lots, lots of great people that have been been through through that for sure. I think I've always been out doing something else at the time. It just never sort of worked out to apply. You know, I was just such a terrible student in school that I think that I have developed I have developed like an aversion to anything that feels like class. 
Um, right. And yeah, and maybe uh, maybe I'm best served to be a professor than a student. I don't know, man. It's uh, uh, still still to be said. So, Andy, I end my episodes. And once again, I'm not the only host of the show. So not everybody does the founders freestyle. But I like to wrap up shows with a little bit of tandem advice. And we'll start with you giving that and I'll, I'll parlay off of that. But um, what's the best advice that you could give for people that want to create marketplaces in general, and then just for founders in general? So I think we've touched on a little bit of advice. I think one of the advice, make sure you're solving a problem, right? And on for a marketplace, it's important to solve both sides of the problem, right? Because you need, you know, buyers and sellers and you got to be solving real tangible issues, you know, on both sides. Uh, the second thing I would say is like own, own a niche, right? Like with a marketplace, try not to be, you know, a big giant horizontal, you know, marketplace like Amazon, but in some way, Amazon owned books, right? It, it's maybe a long time ago, but that was their, that was their original niche. They sold books. They didn't sell all the crazy stuff that they sell today. But, you know, I would say owning a niche um, is the best way to build trust in your your company, the best way to, to build trust in that you can deliver what you say you can. Um, I, uh, those are the main things on top of mind, right? Um, and just as a company, just doing a good job. I, I think that's a that's a big thing. You can't, uh, as a marketplace, your, your word, your reviews, your, you know, word of mouth, right? Like you can get so far on, you know, a little bit of social media and advertising, but ultimately it's that word of mouth. that's really going to stick. Right. Um, and I think that's another critical piece to the marketplace. You know, you you said something in there. You said and do a good job. Um, uh, after a few comments before saying that you got to solve that problem, and you know, all, and for, for advice for founders, and if you listen regularly to the show, you've heard this from a lot of different people: is a good business solves a problem. Uh, yeah. And if it doesn't, and th that's why I'm sometimes mystified when you look at things like Snapchat. Like I'm still not right. sure of what the problem. <laughs> that Snapchat solves is, but somehow they, they walked in between the raindrops, but almost every yep. business that's out there uh, is working to make things better, faster, or cheaper. And in most cases, in most cases, more than one of those, if it really right. wants to thrive and survive now. Um, and you know, you know, Matt Watson as well, cause uh, we, we are all, all three of us are pretty installed members of the entrepreneurship scene here in our hometown of, of Kansas City, but Matt loves boring businesses. Like you mentioned, like find a niche, find yeah. something that grinds the gears in the background. And and those are like the things that Matt gets really, it's funny, he gets really giddy about them because you know, these are these are businesses that are that are very niche and there are yep. riches in the niches, as as many people like to say. But those interesting, you know, and, and you know, the multifamily loan thing is kind of that grinding the gears in the background uh, yeah. kind of operation. And they solve big problems and they're really sticky, meaning like a lot of these companies, they build big processes around them and they don't want to get away from them. And that's yeah. a good business model to have. Look, there are there are thousands of attorneys and accountants, you know, in this line of work, 
and I'm sure if you throw through a work party, you know, with just a bunch of accountants and attorneys, it, it may not be the funnest party on the block, but <laughs> you know, look, these are, these are our people, right? Like we like these people, man, they need, they need a whole lot of help because they're solving a, a huge problem in the United States. Right. So yeah, they may be a little boring, but there, there are level of boring. Well, but, but these kind of things uh, and, you know, these kind of tools and just meaning the things that grind the gears in the background, yeah. they make industries and entire segments of business more efficient, which change the shape of the pricing, the affordability and all of it. And you mentioned things like affordable housing, and that's where like, <clears throat> you know, a marketplace like yours is going to bring costs down by making things more competitive and then also creating the efficiency that runs in the background. Cause like you said, it's amazing how many people have to have their hands in all forms of real estate transactions. And yeah. I think those people are largely doing things all day, every day that they would prefer to be doing something else at the business. You know? Oh yeah. Like, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's mind numbing, you know, work of just, uh, it's like Groundhog Day every day. Oh, here's another set of like 96, like, you know, legal documents that I have to read, you know, and draft. It's, it's, it's a grind. I think if we could all get to the, to the stage, like in the Jetsons where George Jetson would come home and complain to Jane Jetson that he had to push that button seven times. In an entire day. I can't believe how busy it was at Spacely Sprockets today. I had to hit that damn button seven yep. times. And right. with that, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. I'm going to hit the button one time that says end stream. Andy, thank you again for joining me. For those of you listening, go check out Lending Standard and MultifamilyDebt.com. There's links in the show notes. See you next time, Andy. Thanks, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.